Welcome to the Coffee and Poets podcast. This is where poets interview poets. I'm Bob Stanley, and I'm here with Mary Zeppa today. We're going to be talking poetry for a while, and our um, producer is Lawrence Dinkins, Ensa'a. This show is partially brought to you by a grant from the Sacramento Creative Economy. And we're recording live from Brickhouse Gallery and Art Complex in Historic Oak Park, 2837 36th Street in Sacramento. And if you want to listen to past episodes, you can go to coffeeandpoets.com. So I'm here with Mary Zeppa today. Mary's been active in the Sacramento poetry scene for a long time. And uh, welcome. Thank you. Since the beginning of recorded time, I think. Okay. <laughs> I, I actually have a book. I went back and found a book that you were in from 1982. Yep. And that was kind of exciting to... Uh, to see those before I came to Sacramento. And what was, it, what was the poetry scene like back then? Oh, well, there were people doing poetry before the Poetry Center came about. Um, people like Joyce Odom were doing things then, and she's still very active now. Um, but she was part of um, an older poetry scene. I don't guess they were that old when they started. And as was Annie Menabroker, and who else was around then? Um, Eddie Lou Cole was another name that comes to mind. I didn't know those people. Um, now, Joyce Odom, I remember when I was still in Alameda, I remember hearing about her because she would win contests. Oh, yeah. In yeah. The, the program they had down in Berkeley, that event down there, oh, the yeah, Poets' Dinner. Yes, I'm trying to remember. It had a, the name of a, a person associated with it. Oh, is it the Ina Coolbrith? Is that that The group? Ina Coolbrith Award, yeah. Right, right. But when the Poetry Center started, um, this was Teresa Benzaguerra, as I like to call her, the founder of the feast. Mm -hmm. She decided that she wanted to do something different with the poetry events in Sacramento. And she started what was then the Poetry Inc. And uh, when I met her was when they got a, got a physical space at Sierra 2. And Susan Kelly DeWitt and Maria Maggi, who uh, was here for a while and is now in um, Oregon, I believe, or Washington, the three of us had been to the conference in Napa. And we knew that this was happening. So on our way back, and we're kind of revved up from having been at the conference, we came to the party there. And Teresa said to me, well, if you're a poet, why aren't you part of the po poetry? And I said, must everyone be part of a network? And, <laughs> and here I am. And the rest is history. Decades, decades later. So that was 1982? Um, that's what it says in the, in the book. Must here. be then, yeah. if that's what it says. So, um, so I, rem I remember hearing that uh, Teresa had said that the Poetry Center, that their mission was to get money for poets. Yeah, that was part of it. And that sure. never really happened. No, did it? no. it did not. Yeah. It did not. But how many how many readings a year did they have? What was going on? We had Stan. You can help me if I'm wrong here, but I think like two a month at that point. We didn't do it every week, and um, there was money for uh, the famous poets. I mean, we had Robert Bly twice, and okay. he paid him. I remember we actually had office hours in those days because at Sierra 2 it was a remodeled schoolroom, classroom, and I was, I would ride my bike over um, every other Wednesday and do the office hour, 
And it had been in the paper that Bly was coming. And there was a phone call from this woman who was so excited and said, thank you for doing this for Sacramento. It's so wonderful. And I thought, wow, this is what it's all about. And that was really wonderful. We had money for him. Um, were you around for that? He played his balalaika in the, in the auditorium at Sierra 2. I think uh, I heard him in Berkeley about that time. So I remember know. he had this <laughs> kind of a zither that he would right, play, and then he would right. intone, and yes, he did oh, intone. read a poem, and then you'd hear boom, 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 boom. <laughs> he had a mask, too. We had, took some pictures of him wearing his mask. Um, now, there's an idea for a reading. <laughs> I think we could have poetry and masks. We have poetry and capes on Monday. Uh, that's what I hear. Masks could be the next step. Or the half mask. The half mask would be fun. I would like that. Yeah. We had him. We had um, Galway Cannell. We had Robert Hass a couple of times. Um, oh, that was for the conference, or was that just a regular reading? Robert Hass came to read a few times. I don't think he was ever doing our conference. Galway Cannell and Carolyn Forche, my memory is that they came the same reading. Okay. And Susan Kelly DeWitt had um, like a potluck dinner in her backyard. There's some pictures someplace of that. How much did you have to pay a Galway Canal? Oh, or Lord, a Carolyn I don't remember Forche? anymore. I, I do remember that Susan asked Carolyn Kaiser, explaining, as we always did in those days, you know, that we're a small nonprofit. We don't have a lot of money, but, you know, we'll give you a good dinner and, you know, we'll pay you whatever our bottom line was at that point. And some people were quite nice about it, but Carolyn Kaiser said to Susan, honey, I don't even come out of my bathroom for less than, I think it was $5,000. Wow. <laughs> she probably spends a lot of time in the that bathroom. That was the line. <laughs> Everybody said that. I imagine it was true. <laughs> She's dead now, so I guess I can feel free to, yeah, <laughs> to wow. tell that story. I should go back and read some of her stuff. Oh, she's, she's a good poet. Just, but every year, or fairly often, there'd be well-known poets we coming We tried to out. do that. Yeah. yeah, that was important. And then the readings, were they mostly local people, just kind of kind of like it is now? Um, yeah. There would be people who came from, you know, like the Bay Area or, you know, close environs. Luke Bright was our part of us after a short time, and Luke knew a lot of people. So that's how we came to get Robert Hass. And um, Eugene Ruggles was a friend of his. Eugene Ruggles, who um, died a few years ago, I remember saying to Gene Ruggles that Luke and I were the same age, that Luke and I were the mature voices of the Poetry Center, and he said, you guys are in trouble. <laughs> you were like 28, right? <laughs> I was a little older okay. than that. Well, just guessing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you yeah. very much. But yeah. so, so it's a history. So, so a lot of famous poets, and of course now it's probably more expensive and harder. It's a bigger production when we had yeah. Juan Felipe here two years ago. It took like a whole year just to make that happen. And, and people have agents. People and you have, can't... Yeah, which is a good thing for the poets, but right. a hard thing for a small community. So that even if you know the people, even if you have a personal connection, usually you still have to go through their agent. And it's hard to have them say, look, let's make an exception. <laughs> you know, these people are yeah. poor, and, uh, but they do good work. Yeah. So it's more challenging. Do you challenging. think that the Poetry Center should, should keep trying to bring in big names or medium uh -oh. big names? I think it's nice to be able to do that a couple times a year so that, um, so that you know, um, so you're exposed to something uh, different from what we have not that there aren't good local poets, they're so very good local us. poets. So it's not just us. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, people, established people, most of them are established for a reason. You know, they have good work and it broadens your horizon. So, yeah, I think it's good to try to do that a couple times a year. Okay, great. And you've, and you've been in the leadership of the Poetry Center in varying levels for yes. nearly Ever. 40 years. <laughs> I noticed in 1982 you were president of the board of directors. Yes, I was. And then I think, again, I think you were president like three or four different times. I was president times. three times. It doesn't mean the same, didn't mean the same thing then as it means now, because we also had an executive director at that point, although I was executive director for a year or two. Um, Paying job? Oh, I don't know, about $1.98, about I, I think. I keep asking. <laughs> There was a little bit of money involved. Teresa, bless her heart, actually thought she was going to support herself doing poetry, but that did not work out for her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was a little bit of money. I was president of the board three times, and each time it was because um, nobody else wanted to do it. And I didn't want it to die. And so I stepped up. Yeah. And so I think I can take some personal credit yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> for keeping us going all this time. Or maybe I don't know if there's an American president that fits that category. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's been president three times. No. Jerry Brown could come back as governor, though, well, and that would be three times. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Don't forget FDR. That's true. But, he, but that was consecutive. Yeah, yeah. true. And true. that's, yeah, well, he, was, he did 13 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so maybe we'll... we'll Take another tack. I'm kind of interested in knowing what got you into poetry. What was it that hooked you back in Wisconsin, perhaps, or got you to Iowa, or some of the some of the things that I was only born in Wisconsin, so I I, I don't know. I had to mention that. Yeah, maybe it was a poetic atmosphere around me when I was born, but um, I grew up in Illinois. Um, my mother wrote poetry. I did not learn this until later. Uh, and she wasn't very good, but she was earnest, and it was important to her. Um, and I was a library kid. She took us to the library with our little red wagon. There was a Carnegie Library in Homewood, Illinois. So there was that. And I think to the fact that I grew up as a Missouri Synod Lutheran, um, a lot of negative things about that, because it, especially when I was coming up, uh, it was a very rigid um, structure. On the other hand, we had um, the King James Version of the Bible, which I still think has some of the most beautiful language, beautiful, the way it's translated, the beautiful English that I've ever heard. And that creates um, a sense of rhythm and uh, an appreciation for beauty. I, th- I imagine it got started there. Uh, I went to a two-room Lutheran school the first seven years of my schooling. Um, so when you're in a school like that, it's completely dependent on the uh, skills of one teacher per little room, big room. Okay. Um, so, but we, we did sing, you know, the hymns, and I, I learned to love reading in that context. I, we, they probably made us memorize poems, too, because that's what they did in those days. Um, and then when I was in high school, I was writing some. And I had a teacher that took an interest. He would look at my work, which I'm sure was god-awful, but he was very kind. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what poem, do you remember any poets from high school? Or? Oh, gosh. Um, we had to memorize Invictus. 
Do they still have to do that? You know, can you give us the first couple of oh, lines? Oh, sure. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is buddy, bloody but unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Okay, more than a few lines. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was the whole thing. Who, who wrote that? William Ernest Henley. Okay. Yeah, they wow. made us learn that. Uh-huh. Um, I still know it. The bludgeonings of chance. There's some great lines yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. Master of my fate, the captain of my There's soul. so many people who say that, that memorizing is, um, is so important that we, a lot of people don't do it anymore. Schools right. don't do so much of that anymore. Right. right. So that one stuck. Yeah, and that sure was, did. What, do you remember what teacher or what class or Let's roughly? See. Probably junior year of high school. Okay. And I want to, I can't get her last name. There were twin spinster sisters, <laughs> Letha and Lorna. And I think it was Letha. I think there's a poem in here somewhere. Oh, probably. Oh, yeah. Probably. The they twin spinster sisters. Twin spinster. <laughs> Maybe you should do it. You can say it better than I. <laughs> uh, they've been to school with my dad when he was in high school. So um, some history there. I, I, want, I think it was probably Letha. And so you were writing a little bit here and there? Yeah, that was our, my first high school that I learned Invictus. But it, I, it, when, um, it was a small town, about 20 miles south of Chicago, Homewood, Illinois. And there was a, a more high-toned town. People had money at Flossmore High School. It sounds like in uh, Parks and Recreation where there's like the town, there's Pawnee, Indiana, and then there's... What's the name? There's another town, and the, and the, the poor town, and the rich town. That's exactly. Okay. Uh, well, Midway. we weren't poverty-stricken, okay. but we well, certainly were. Okay, well, isn't either. So when I started high school, it was like there were two schools that you had to travel to, either um, Chicago Heights or Harvey, Illinois. Go to one of those schools, depending on where you lived. So I went two years to um, Bloom Township High School. And then the people in Flossmoor said, we need our own school. And they started a new school, Homewood Flossmoor High. Um, and it was there that I met the teacher, Carl Hoff, I remember his name quite well, who um, took an interest in uh, my writing. And also, um, he and his wife took me to the symphony in Chicago. I'd never been to anything like that wow. before. This was like senior year or junior year? Um, yeah, senior year. Senior, senior year in year. high school. And we had a really good choir director. Um, I was in the choir, and we sang. We did Carmina Burana in high school. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's, it's a pretty, for those of, us who, those of you who may not know that piece of music, it's pretty ambitious. Um, so he was quite a, I remember him saying, because the marching band was going to do the rhythm, which is really important. He said, ordinarily, I wouldn't care, I could care like less for marching bands, but this guy's a musician, and they are rocking. So like, you guys better keep up. <laughs> wow, okay. So it was a, you were in pretty uh, rarefied air. Yeah. yeah. I was, we were for, lucky for that way. For high school. Yeah. yeah. We were lucky that way. So you've talked, so I know that there's, you, you, uh, you like to incorporate music in your poetry. You do music. I do, yes. You've talked about the music of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, any poems come to mind? New poems, old poems, something that you, of yours Ooh. that you'd like to kind of... What? 
Can you touch well, on that might kind of? Sure. If I can find it quickly. Oh, I am sorry. Whoa. Stephen oh, Colbert drops his paperwork now and then, too. Then you fold it. There's so many. Um, but this is a favorite one. It's called, it's in my book. <laughs> my Body Tells Its Own Story, which is three years old, but still available on Amazon. Um, <laughs> this is called The Little Notebooks of Anna Magdalena Bach, a coda. The body an alien we rent a room in. I don't get this mind-body thing, said the funny man. The brain's in the body, last time I looked. Uh, but the brain is merely the furniture to house the abstraction that hungers for saffron that longs to be Van Gogh's good ear. That cocks that ear, bends it toward her soprano. Anna Magdalena stirs widower buck, raises the hairs on the back of his neck. I'd be their first baby, warm, wet, and living, who dropped into box waiting hands. Yes, life will come back for us, turning the carriage round, stopping the jet on a dime. Mm. I like that poem still. <laughs> poem stops on a dime, too. Right. And Bach had like 15 children, right? Uh, 20. 20, okay. Well, yeah. He had two wives. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yet and still, that's a lot of kids. But I read that he really loved the um, the whole birth process, and he loved, you know, when they were little and the growing up, and and when that wasn't happening in his house, he missed it. Oh, yeah. He didn't. He didn't take Lamaze classes. <laughs> that is not recorded. Okay. <laughs> so far as I know. It's not there. You can't find it in the in the notes on the page. I, yeah, I've never something. seen it. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I want to remind our audience that this is the Coffee and Poets podcast, and this is where poets interview poets. And I'm Bob Stanley with Mary Zeppa, and our producer is Lawrence Dinkins and Sa'ah here at the Brickhouse Gallery. And um, so, Mary, you're still doing, after many years, you're still doing uh, organizing events. You're doing the Third Thursday program. Yep. You did the archives program last year over at Sac State. Um, why don't you talk about some of the things that you've orchestrated and, and the differences you see, again, between uh, our Sacramento poetry world, not just SPC, but what do you see right. in the community? Okay. Well, as I was telling you earlier, Bob, I found this interview in this book called Interviews with Fangs by, that Barry Kennedy did, um, 2007, I believe. And it was he did a really good job with it. Shout out to Barry. Um, and in that, in that interview, among many things I was talking about, was about the archives and how we needed a place to have our stuff. Because uh, during the time when we didn't have a physical space, you remember, we went, you and I went to Suzanne Johnson's garage and hauled those really scuzzy water <laughs> log. Well, the termites, it was when the, we went to open pick up a box of old publications of some publications, kinds. and the box fell open, and there were, like, lots of, I don't know whether they were termites or something. But yeah, silverfish. I mean, I think we had everything there. There were a lot of bugs. A lot of bugs. And, I mean, we were able to save some things, but it was yeah. just awful. We and kept about two-thirds of it, I think. And we had a lot, but, you know, it was in such disarray. Um, and I just didn't want 
everything to you know, disintegrate um, where there would be no record of all the fantastic stuff we've, been, we've done. I still would like, it mentions it in this interview, to um, have some kind of digital way, and I guess this is going to happen uh, with um, James Fox at the uh, archival librarian at Sac State, where our archives are now. He's a special collections librarian. He was looking at a way that um, documents could be scanned so that if people wanted to see about Robert Bly's reading, it would be there. You know, you could find it by putting, dropping in a name or your name or my name. And I've been wanting that to happen for a very long time. I've tried various to get it cross-referenced so people can look yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. I thought I had a thing going with the people at the Sacramento Public Library. They were interested, but they tried to get a grant and everything. We were too small. It just didn't work out. So um, when uh, we made connection, you and I made connection with Amy. Kautzman, Kautzman, Kautzman the, yeah. the new librarian at Sac State, and she was interested, and but wanted to wait till she got a special collections librarian, and then she got James, and it happened. So um, that was very exciting. So you me. want you want people to be able to go back and see the things that have happened here. That's right. What what are some other things you want young people to know about poetry? Just kind of, you know, you've taught in schools, you've done poetry workshops with kids of various yeah. ages, what do you think they, or, or what, what do you love to share with them? Hmm. Well, the main thing I'm doing to share right now is the third Thursdays. Vicki's here. Um, <laughs> and we have a really great group of people right now. It's just, it's a sharing. It, everybody brings other people's work. No, nobody's allowed to read their own stuff. And then we talk about why, why that someone brought that particular poem, what it is about it that's um, appealed to them, and uh, what's the language. And other people will say, you know, it, it really got me with that particular image. I said that last week. <laughs> I wasn't too interested in what they were saying here until I heard that image. And then, you know, you get interested and you it catches you. It, it, they are able to say something maybe that you didn't even know that you were aware of. But when it's said, it's, you think, yeah, that's exactly right. That's just how it is. Or you think, I never thought of it that, that way before. But you know that that's, you've got a new insight into it. That's what I love about it. And with regard to thir Thursday in particular, we are a motley crew of people. <laughs> but everyone's there because they love language. And we are enriching each other's lives so much. Um, I really love it. We haven't even, everybody else seems to as well. Um, we haven't taken any breaks this year. Usually we take a summer break, but everybody said, no, <laughs> let's keep going. And, and uh, last week I said, well, you know, it's the 20th of December coming up. That'll be the next one. Do you want to take a break? No, it's only an hour. <laughs> and one of the other people who comes calls it a sanctuary. You know, when uh, there's chaos going on, like there always is, uh, we have a sanctuary there. Um, we laugh a lot, too, and we share serious people sometimes get all choked up talking about things. Uh, that's, I value that greatly, uh, that kind of sharing and, and expanding of your world, of everybody's world. Yeah, kind of the, the love of language brings you together, but then 
it, it opens you up to, to share not just the work that you're looking at, but, but your lives. That's and, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you feel like it's been all, all of the years of you know, being active and, and volunteering for the Poetry Center and putting events together, that's kind of the, the point of it all, is to get right. together and, and to learn from each other. Exactly. Exactly that. You know, we have our times when I, you know, it's dull or, you know, there's work that... You mean not every poem is exciting? <laughs> not every poem is exciting to me. <laughs> Sometimes I have to sit there going, all right, be polite. Or this this is infuriating me, but... Um, Could so, happen. Oh, it does happen. Yeah. <laughs> to me, at least. Yeah. And we have our ups and downs, and we've certainly had our ups and downs as an organization. I was so grateful to you for stepping up when you did. Because I knew, you know, I, I couldn't do it anymore at that point. And you were, you were an ace man. Well, we had, a, we made a deal, right? You said you'd take it for a for year, year. And you'd get me going. I was telling Joyce this morning that when I first joined the board, well, Stan brought me in. Yeah. And we'd have those meetings. And I was kind of feeling like a fish out of water. And it was Mary Zeppa that made me oh, feel yeah? most comfortable. Oh, you'd that's go, nice. You'd kind of like, oh, like <laughs> Okay, okay, good. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I'm yeah, glad was, to know yeah, that. You, you kind of kept me around and brought me up, so that was fun. <laughs> brought you up. Didn't I raise him nicely? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> so, um, maybe another poem? Let's, what have you got in there? You got a few... Uh, brought a few newer ones. Okay, good. Can I read something that... This has not been heard anywhere. And it's strange, and I have no idea where it came from, okay? Trying this out on you guys. It's called Hannah's Lives of a Sorrowing Redhead. You could drive a truck through the holes in Hannah's story. How did she come to this place? She was never the shepherdess, some pretend. She never sang leader or jazz. In 43, all their spines were tense, rigid with hiding and lies. Hannah loved the old woodsman in those days when he dreamed of a flock of fat sheep, and she conjured the doctor's coat she might have worn if only the Fuhrer could paint. Don't ask. I don't know where it came from. Don't know. Okay, it just <laughs> floated into your mind. Yeah. There's a Hannah. There was a Hannah, but it's your Hannah. Yeah. You've written fiction? I'm not very good at it. I, I, I love fiction. I read a lot of fiction, but I suck at plot. I suck at plot. I, so. I know that I do too. Can I, read, <laughs> can I read this back to you? Sure. Hannah's, and then it's, uh, so it's Hannah's, and then it's italicized. So Lives of a Sorrowing Redhead is italicized. So that's like her. Is it? Hannah's. Lives so of is. a sorrowing red. You're that's, right. that's a mouthful. Lives of a sorrowing. You can sorrowing. do it. Come on now. I brought you up better than that. You could. <laughs> you could drive a truck through the holes in Hannah's story. How did she come to this place? She was never the shepherdess. Some pretend. She never sang leader, or jazz. In '43, all their spines were tense, rigid with hiding and lies. Hannah loved the old woodsman in those days when he dreamed of a flock of fat sheep, and she conjured the doctor's coat she might have worn if only the Fuhrer could paint. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Sometimes, you know, that happens too. Sometimes poems come 
Well, often. Poems seem to come from somewhere where we don't expect them, or maybe the best ones are just kind of float in. Do you, what's your, um, your process or your practicing? Do you write every day at the same time, or do you drink absinthe at 2 in the morning, or, you know, what's, what's your like approach? I like that idea, absinthe <laughs> at 2 in the morning. I'm going to try that. Yeah. No, I'm rather undisciplined about it, actually. Um, I try to put myself down to write regularly, but I am rather undisciplined. I read a lot. I start my day every day by going to the Poetry Daily site and reading a poem there, and also Verse Daily. Um, and Poetry Daily also has some articles and um, connections to poems that come from other places. Ted Kuzer's column, American Poetry, is uh, they have a link to that. They have poetry from uh, The Guardian, you know, the, the London publication, I believe it is, Times Literary Supplement. Um, and there's a lot of different sources for that. So I read a lot, and um, I have God. Probably, I was going to say thousands of drafts. That's an exaggeration, but <laughs> lots of paper with words on it. So um, you, write, you write on on paper. I do. Okay. I do. I start out with a ball, usually a ballpoint pen on paper, and after. Well, I've said this many times, but after it gets to the point where you can't read it anymore, you know, you need to put it in a form that's more legible. It used to be a typewriter. Now it's a computer. Right. And. Um, but it changes when you do that, because then you start, I do at least, you put it in a form. And as someone said, it all looks good, you know, when you can change the typeface, and you know, it's different. You can then. center it on the page. Yeah. yeah, you can indent here, and so, but it is, that's how I, that's how I do it. Then I carry it around in a folder, not unlike this, and um, you know, it nags at you. I've got one right now that I keep looking at. I keep thinking it's done, but nope. Next morning, not done yet, Unfinished. not done yet. Although I think I'm getting closer. You know, that's hard to explain to people who don't do something like that, that, yeah, you're still making mistakes, but you think the mistakes are leading you in a direction. And it's often pretty far from where you thought you were going to go when you started out. So things awesome. get changed around. Now, your book came out, I'm going to guess, Four years ago? Uh, 2015. 23 years ago. So are you working on another book? I or am. I'm working on, um, oh, I hope, something that will lead to another manuscript. I was lucky enough to um, apply to Ragdale, not for, that's in Illinois. Uh, not, I didn't get a residency this time, but there is something they call a creative sabbatical. Ooh. And yeah, and I got one for two weeks in March. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to go and uh, work there. Now, I was going to ask about because you've been to a number of uh, you've been to Ragtail before. Yeah, once. And talk a little bit about you know share with the audience kind of what's what are those like? What do you meet? Who do you meet? What do you do? What's it like to go on a retreat, a writing retreat? I've only been to two places. I've been to the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts three times. I keep kicking this table. Sorry, Lawrence. Um, I've been to the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts three times and Ragdale once. Um, and so those are the only places I have experience of. Um, Virginia Center for the Creative Arts is bigger. There are usually about 25 people there at any given time. And they will be people from all creative media. Uh, there will be visual artists. There will be poets. 
fiction writers, screenwriters, composers. I always loved being around composers. Uh, I get a lot out of that. Um, so everybody at VCCA has a studio as well as a place to sleep at night. And so it's a separate space to work in. And so you, you uh, structure your day any way that makes sense to you. People work during the day. Although there's some night owls, too, you know, stay up and paint at 3 in the morning. And then um, there are always a lot of interesting people around. So if you so choose, you can make friends. That, and I have. I've stayed close to some people that I've met in Virginia. Um, and you can get stimulated that way as well. The last time I was at Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, one of the composers, um, a serious classical composer, Stephen Petro. Oh, no, wrong Stephen. I'm sorry. Stephen Dankner. Stephen Dankner. Stephen Petro's a journalist. Stephen Dankner also plays like a hot piano. And Ooh. so <laughs> in the composer's studio, one of the composer's studios, there was this white piano. And um, he and I did an evening of, of songs. Uh, I sang and he played the piano. It was tremendous fun. That um, sounds great. It, well, really, it was really great. Very, very enjoyable. Um, and it's similar at Ragdale, except it's smaller. And the, there were only like 13 people there the t time I was there two years ago. And they do have a composer studio, but there were no compos composers there at the time I was there. It was just visual artists and, yeah. and writers. And I, I just liked as broad a stimulation as I can get. But. So two weeks in March? Yeah. yeah. So what are your plans? What do you want to do when you get there? Um, I've been working on some poems about, um, oh gosh, about loss. Both my parents had dementia when they died. And so I have figured, my sisters and I both figure that's in the cards for us. And so I kind of think, you know, your, your days are numbered as yourself, you know, your fully functional creative self. So I've been working on things like that um, and other kinds of loss. So, of course, memory is a huge part of poetry, right? Bringing back yep. so many things. So it, it uh, probably writing poems helps you uh, push back that, that curtain, if you will. Yeah, by, I think so. I think yeah. so. Of course, it, you know, you change the stories when you write them. I mean, don't you find this to be true? You've written a poem that has some facts in it, but now you've written the poem, so now that story is the story, right? The, the thing you've written is the story. At least until you revise it. <laughs> but so the strict facts, I mean, somebody could say, well, that's not, I was there. That's not how it happened. Well, it is now. Cause <laughs> yeah, well, you can't remember the exact conversation, so you get to make it up. Of course, of course. Or as Dennis Schmitz, who's reading at the Poetry Center tonight, says, we lie in poems all the time. We lie in poems all the time. I think Dennis is a particularly good at he's doing that. He's a terrific yeah. liar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's talk about a wit, a wry wit. Uh, Maybe uh, any other thoughts you studied with Dennis at I Sac did, State? Like so many people did. What do you remember? What are some of the things that kind of uh, inspired you or got you going with Dennis? Uh, I did a really. I looked at it again the other day, and it's a damn good interview. I did a good interview with with Dennis in 1997, where we talked about a lot of that. Um, he has writing rules which are um, odd and quirky. And the only one I can remember, there's a list of them, is number four. First the, first the pants, then the shoes. <laughs> and that comes, from, <laughs> that comes from a Gary Larson cartoon where the guy's sitting on the edge of the bed 
and he's getting ready to get dressed in the morning, and there's a sign to help him remember. First the pants, then the shoes. Um, another thing that Dennis... What, what does that mean? Um, Poetically. Whatever you want to. <laughs> he doesn't put on his shoes first. Does he? Metaphorically, <laughs> it means a lot of things. He has a way of accessing a really um, wild and weird part of his mind. I envy that so much. I am not able to do go there nearly as often as I would like to. But what I'm remembering, just because I just read this interview the other day, that he does things like, in a class, he um, had, he said he had rewritten some poems. And I said, do you mean your own? He said, no, no, I'm like William Carlos Williams. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow beside, in the, what's the rest of it? The, the wheelbarrow and the white chickens, beside the white chickens. Okay, so he changes it from the white chickens to beside the KFC chicken. <laughs> and then, like, where do you go from there? Why is the KFC chicken in the wheelbarrow? What triggers that? Or he, he was saying, you know, in the movies where um, someone's in danger, and you know they're in danger. They should not be going down those steps into the cellar, and you want to scream, stop, Debbie! Well, but you know something that they don't. That's right. Yeah. So he said, what if the door they open, the stairs they go down, that leads into your kitchen, your personal kitchen. And on your refrigerator, there are magnets, and there's maybe a shopping list of some kind. How does that change what's going on there? Take a twist you know, yeah. <laughs> and recalibrate. So, um, oh gosh, I wish I could remember the other things that he offered as ways to approach it. One thing Dennis is really, really good at as a teacher is he has the ability to, um, you don't have to be on his wavelength. You don't have to be his kind of a writer. He can see what you've got at, as yourself and what you ought to pursue in your and own let, direction. And let you be, be yourself exactly. and not, not become he like this. He doesn't try to push you anyway. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that's really important, I think. One of the things you talk about with that, you know, coming down the stairs and then it opens into your... Your kitchen. kitchen. It's kind of like, uh, I know, I remember Susan Kelly DeWitt once gave us a prompt that was like, there, there's cards on a table and there's people talking and, you know, you flip over the card. And so that there's something that kind of gets you thinking out of the box. Exactly. Where, and it's kind of, it opens a door into another realm where exactly. all exactly. of a sudden you're in a poem world and not in, in the real world. That's right. And I, right. I think that's the beauty of a good prompt. And, you, and the prompt, you may eventually jettison the initial right. prompt, but it leads you into a space where you're just thinking freely. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well summarized. Well, Much better no, than I... It was exciting. I mean, I was like, I was, you know, there's a, there's a poem, it's in W.S. Merwin's book of translations, where... Um, I, I'm knocking on a door, I'm knocking on it. This is, this is a paraphrase, but it's... Uh, I think it's Roberto Waros. I'm knocking on a door. I'm knocking on a door. I'm knocking on a door. It opens from the inside. It's kind of like all of a sudden it's you opening the door and it's you coming in the door. And it's like in your mind just kind of goes, um, what? okay, what just happened? <laughs> right? It's like right. you think it's going one place and then it opens up and you go, 
Okay, poem moment, right? Candle, flame, whatever it is yeah, that yeah, happens yeah. at that yeah. point. So you, so you took a couple years with Dennis? Uh, when I first met Dennis, I don't remember how it was suggested to me that I ought to call him. I was working for the state, and I hadn't really done much with writing for a while. And somebody suggested that I should get in touch with Dennis. So I called him, and he said, come on out. And I went out on my lunch hour, and... Um, he offered me half of his peanut butter cookie. and <laughs> <laughs> Not that you remember. <laughs> oh, I remember it really well. Okay. Um, and it's in the interview I did with him. So it's real fresh in my mind. And we had a great conversation. And um, he said, I believe he said that I could bring him or send him stuff once in a while, even without taking a class. And then I started taking classes with him. Yeah. Met a lot of people that way, too. Yeah. That's how I met Susan. I was, that's what I was going to ask yep. when, when you met Susan. So you guys took classes. You were uh, colleagues. At, yeah, we the, were. Yeah, we classmates. Were. I date our friendship from the time we were sitting side by side in Dennis's class, and she had a terrible cold. And she was sitting next to me, and she had no Kleenex. And she was just about to put her sweatshirt sleeve under her nose, and I handed her some Kleenex. <laughs> that was the first time you met her? Oh, we oh, had. No. Okay. That was the first time we really had a connection, I would say. So who was a better student? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no, you can, you can. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> we were equally fabulous. What can I say? <laughs> I could, that would be that would be a good class to be a fly on the wall in. We had good people. Yeah, we had good people there. I think B.L. Kennedy took some uh, classes with Dennis too, or he worked with Dennis at one point. He mentioned that. Was he there? He may have, but yeah. not. I don't not remember his time. being there. Lots of other people. I don't remember him, but it could have been later or earlier. Any classes with Catherine Holbein over there? Or? You know, I don't think I did. Okay. Um, I know a lot of people took classes with her. She's a wonderful yeah. teacher and uh, just a wonderful writer and just a great inspiration to us all. 88 and a half. Yeah. Still. She'll be there tonight, I think. She's coming to see Yeah, Dennis. that would be great. Yeah, be wonderful to see her. I heard through the um, well, maybe another poem. It's been a while since we've heard a poem, and that's okay. why we're here to be talk about poetry. So maybe we can All right. get another piece. All right. In view of um, what's happening in our climate right now, the fires and the smoke and all, I wrote this last year, but it still works for us. Um, it's uh, in two sections. I just pause between them. It's called Sonoma County Prestissimo. October 2017. Wildfire, hills, orchards, neighborhoods. Ten minutes, our block was gone. Cars melting, tires exploding, dogs, horses, goats on their own. Which way does the wind howl this morning? Is my sister's house in Santa Rosa still safe? And the Fountain Grove Inn, home away from home, where we drank a goodnight kiss in the bar before we laid our heads down? All week on Facebook, her family's marked safe. Their vans packed, they're ready to evacuate. Camping gear, important papers, one album of photos, one box of Christmas ornaments made when their grown son and daughter were small. In case we have to start over, she says, adjusting her particle mask. Wow, that definitely... Uh... I gave myself a cold chill there Timely, <laughs> because yeah. it's so much like what's happening now. Yeah. And prestissimo means really fast? Really fast. Really like the fast. fire came down the hill and right. wiped out. 
And the images, the the Christmas ornaments, and that, mm -hmm. that for me, the poem kind of went into another level when all of a sudden it zoomed in on those. Yeah, that was my sister, and I thought, she's extraordinarily practical and calm. You know, in case we have to start over, then we'll have these ornaments from when the kids were little. But they were really lucky. Um, they were all ready to evacuate. They never had to, and their house was fine. All around them, things were burnt to the ground. The Fountain Grove Inn burnt to the ground. All those places wow. burnt to the ground. But their neighborhood burned down, but their house didn't? Or? Part of their neighborhood yeah. did burn down, yeah. but not their house, not their immediate wow. area. Yeah. And you're, yeah. Wow. So that was just a, that was this, was that this year? Last year. That was last year. Sonoma County. Yeah. 2017. Do you often write about uh, current events, or do you write... Uh, Political oh. poems, or are they? I don't really write political poems. So things like that are very rare for me. I have a few, very rare. Um, I don't have any with me, um, except this. But uh, this was my family, in addition yeah. to the the chaos. And actually, this was written on a prompt. I'm in a writing group um, called. We call ourselves the Red Wings. There's seven women, and we give, give each other assignments and. Uh, share our work and read the same book of poems whenever we get together every six or eight weeks, eat, drink, and uh, we've been doing this for 12 years. It's, but this was Kathy French's assignment, and we were supposed to use a musical term, like prestissimo, and I think there was something about mood in it, too. I don't, I don't remember now, but that's what got this started. So that's why I used that, that word. But it works, I think. Yeah, I know you've talked about that Red Wing group, and mm -hmm. they, and you've read with them, and that's uh, Susan's in that. Susan's in it. Lisa, Kathy French, Lisa Dominguez Abraham, Victoria Dolke, uh, Carol Frith, and Kathleen Lynch, and me. That's seven. That's like an all-star uh, lineup there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to have Quentin Duvall, um, our yeah. favorite and only man, who died five years ago. Is that possible? I think so. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, we all miss him very much. We were called the Red Wings because of his press, which was um, had Red Wing was Red Wing Press. Red Wing Press. Yeah. yeah. So we named ourselves that for him. Yeah, Quinn's book is a great book, or a couple of his. There's books several. Are really good. Yeah, yeah, they're all wonderful. Well, and again, and you talk about the Red Wing group. You know, meeting every month or so, it comes back to sharing, and you yep. know, kind of that we use poetry to enrich our lives, share with others, go a little deeper in some ways. And when you're in a group like ours, um, everybody's so different. Kathleen actually started the group, and she picked people that she thought she could learn from, because everyone was so very different. And um, Carol Frith is like the mistress of form. And I think <laughs> she, she wakes up breathing sonnets, I think. She's just amazing how she's able to do that. And everybody's got a different slant on things. Um, so I'm the one who's like the line break bitch. It's like, respect your own line breaks. <laughs> just, that so, might be a new term. Line break bitch, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literary terms. Yeah. Well, uh, Mary, it has been great fun. It has there's, been fun. There's so much more to explore. We could talk for hours, and we and I'm sure we will. I'll see you tonight at Dennis's tonight reading. Tonight at Dennis's reading, 6.30 at the Poetry Center. 6.30? Yes. Okay, I was thinking it's 6. It's early. Um, 
And so, so I want to, uh, so I want to thank you for for uh, being here. This is the inaugural uh, podcast, I think, of the yeah, the inaugural video of Coffee and Poets, and uh, it's uh, partially funded by the Sacramento Creative Economy Grant. Uh, we're recording live from the Brick House Gallery and Art Complex on 36th Street in historic Oak Park. If you want to listen to past episodes, you can go to the website coffeeandpoets.com. That's capital C, capital A, capital P. And um, our good, producer <laughs> is Ensa Ah, Lawrence Dinkins, and he's the director of the Coffee and Poets series. And uh, again, my guest is Mary Zappa. I'm Bob Stanley, and thank you very much for listening and watching.